So we're in Isaiah chapter 43, and we're reading the first two verses, but also um, half of the third verse uh, in the beginning. And I go right to my text this morning. If you have your Bibles, if not, just follow along. But Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 12, and this is what what the prophet writes, uh, and the Lord is speaking through him. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I, lo- I just love saying it that way. You are mine. Like, I am God's. God is ours. We, he's our portion. We've read those Psalms and those scriptures too. And in verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. Imagine that. Nor will the flame burn you. And the first part of three, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, let me just really quickly let you know that as always, when we read Scripture, whether it's New Testament, whether it's Old Testament, you have heard it here from this pulpit, from the pastors, you've heard it for a long time. Context is very important. In fact, context is important with anything that you read, right? That's why I want to tell you two things. This wasn't planned, but I did a first service too, and it's really important. Number one, please be careful to what you hear through media. That's nothing new. You've said that before. I have said that before. But let me be a little more specific. You know why? Because they pick and choose, and more often than not, there are sound bites or a rhetoric that is taken out of context and, in addition, even manipulated to be used for the benefit or for the purpose of the user, the one who is using that soundbite. Be careful. My point is, context is everything. It's so important to understand context, and we will say that over and over again. And I even... Now we still come, even if you've read the Bible for a long time, we still can learn something new about the context within Scripture. And we grow in our knowledge of what God was trying to do historically and what He's speaking to us now. Context is very important. Having said that, it's also important that we don't pick and choose as Christians, if you're a follower, a believer, that you don't pick and choose what you want to read in the Bible. I shared the other day online, but, but I, I believe that there is such a thing. and We need to avoid a vending machine Christianity where you pick and choose what you want. You go to the machine and if you want that Swedish fish because it's 75 cents and it has just sugar and no nutritional value, I want that on a fly, I get it. You know, I'm not going to spend three bucks and you might find a vending machine that has something of value or that's nutritionally good like a protein bar or something and even that you got to be careful with. But, but the point is, We want convenience. We want choice. We take it. You can't pick and choose just like you can't pick and choose which scripture you want to apply to your life every day. Because some of us, the danger is, is that we just park ourselves in one scripture that says, God is love. And we don't look around it. We don't look before it afterwards. And we just read over and over every day. God is love. God is love. God is love. 
God is love. God is, and we never grow in our faith and our knowledge of God. And we never understand what that love looks like in action historically before us, but also for us now today. And it's not just, well, God is love. Well, what does that mean? You don't know if that's all you read over and over again. My point is, I'm kind of going off here. But don't pick and choose. Read everything. So that's why we're in Isaiah chapter 43, and I'm saying that because you have to understand that Isaiah 43 is written to a specific group of people, the Israelites. However, the beautiful thing about the words that we read is is that it's got to be in context. And if you want the total and full context to even broaden your understanding and application to your life, can I just give you some homework? Because it is Sunday. We should be in the Word. We should be thinking about the Lord and taking this day and just just resting in the Lord, right? Read chapter 42. Because chapter 42 is where you have to understand why God says what He does. It's all about how God, because God's people were disobedient, there was a justification. There was a reason God had given them warning. And they disobeyed, and now there was judgment, and they were in captivity in Babylon. But then there's this beautiful thing. And when you read context, things, one word like this, two words like this, will jump out at you. Verse 1 and 43, the next chapter, after God talks about judgment and why, because they disobeyed. But now, but now, you just read 42 and God said all this. Now you're, but now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. By the way, same, but they're different name, right? He, but now, there's a change, there's a transition. Yes, there was a time of judgment. As a result of your disobedience, you kind of made your own bed, so to speak. You have to lay in it, right? But now, God has something coming for His people. His plan never changed, even though there were all these things that went on that were ugly and bad and painful. and Well, they were there to grow them and to form them into the people God really wanted them to be. But now... See, this passage is directly for Israel, but it reveals God's character and how He interacts. Here's the thing. Here's where we can apply that context to our day. How He relates to His people. If you're a believer, are you part of His people? Yes! You can respond. I know you're, maybe you're sleepy, but you can respond. Yes, you're a part of His people. You are His person, His child. We sang about that. And so there's an application because of God's character and how He interacts with His people. So it's relevant and it is applicable to all believers, to you today. These simple things that we'll point out. Three simple things. In 1987, I was in Paraguay for one whole month. I was in eighth grade. And in Ohio, when I went to Greenbrier Junior High School, uh, we, had, we had junior high school. It was 7th and 8th grade. We don't have middle school where it's 5th through 8th like in our district. And I was so excited. I got to miss a month of school. And Mr. Sterl and Mr. Uh, Gates, the, the president and assistant, uh, not president, the principal and the assistant principal gave me permission. I had to get a note to them and be gone for a month and all that. And I got to leave school for a month with my dad and go see where my father was born. And I was so excited I got there. And I could share tons of stories. Oh my goodness. I will never forget it. And I have these images in my mind of going to my Uncle Jacob's house who died well before my father did 10 years ago. But he was in living in the city of Encarnacion. 
And he had a business making cabinets and doing all kinds of custom woodwork in the city. And he was, honestly, he was living good, man. He was, he had running water, he had electricity, a beautiful home. I mean, really, it was amazing. And then I got to see the other five siblings of my dad, his sister and four other brothers. And they lived out in Colonia Fran. And it was a little village, a village out where there's all these all farmers, and it was like when I took that ride down, it was like I went into a third world area. I am not kidding when I say this is 1987. It's different now. I haven't been there, but my relatives have told me. But here's the deal. I went there, and I remember at the same time being blown away by the beauty of that countryside, right on the Rio Paraná, right across the river is Argentina. And just, it was, oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I had one memory, and I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. And we were at my uncle, my uncle Ignacio's house. And we had barbecue, which we had every single night. You know, not the healthiest thing. Oh, that heart's probably feeling it. But every night we had all kinds of, of, of barbecue and just bacon and meat. It was just, it was amazing. Oh, it was so good. We hung out. We fellowship, drank our tereré and mate, you know, the yerba mate. We're drinking all that stuff, which is a, it's a cool thing. It's a custom social thing. And we left about 11.30, and we walked about, I would say, three-quarters of a mile down the road. They all lived by each other, my uncles and my aunt. They had farms, big farms. And we're walking down to my Uncle Steve's house, because we were staying there. And it was no electricity, dark middle of night. And I remember leaving, when they had their lanterns on and all, we're walking up the driveway, walking down the road. And I was blown away when I looked up. You want to talk about seeing stars? There was no light pollution there. I mean, it's like going into a third world. Re- I mean, it was, it was, there was nothing. It was so incredibly, I mean, it was just speckled. I mean, it was almost a, a black spot in the sky. It was just so filled in with stars. But the thing that really blew me away was that as I'm walking, my shadow was so vivid. It was so bright outside. Just from the stars, I'm not making this up. And I remember in that moment as 13-year-old Bob Geruda walking in Paraguay, 9,000-something miles from home, and I'm walking, I'm thinking, oh my God, I actually thought that. Like, this is, it just blew me away, and thinking, look at me. I mean, I'm with my dad. I mean, this is where he grew up, and I'm walking, and look at this creation, the beauty of it. And, and I started to realize, and as I was preparing, I'm thinking about that experience I had that just melted me inside. And how humbling it is to realize that God thinks about me. I will never forget that. I'm sure you've had experiences like that. It, to this day, I can see it. I can feel that night. It was beautiful. Three quick things God says to be encouraged this morning. About, about what we can apply to our lives and how His words are true for you as much as they were for Israel back in the day when they were going through all their stuff because of their disobedience. First of all, God says, I created you. Just like all those stars, I created you. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 4 comes to mind as I, as I looked up and out into that sky, right? And, and when, I, when I look, He says, when I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place, every one of them, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He created all that and then there's me and he cares for me. 
He has concern for me. He he has a plan for me. I I matter to Him. And the Bible declares, as we have declared, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, but we've heard over and over, that the Bible declares that God is the Creator of all things, beginning from the first chapter of Genesis. And God did not create. Let me just be clear. If you read the Bible through and through, God did not create haphazardly and randomly, but He had a purpose, a design, a plan to enjoy His creation and so that His creation could enjoy Him. It wasn't haphazard. He had a plan. He had a vision. He knew it all. He saw you already. And in fact, I love, I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that before the foundations of the earth, God already had a plan for us. He already had a plan. He saw you. He knew you. He talked to the Ephesians about that. God knew you before you were born. Way before you were born. Before you were conceived, God knew you. He had a plan for you. He has a design. And He knows what He's doing. Let me ask you a question. Because we take this truth And as much as we know it, it's a simple message, but God created you. God says, I created you and I formed you. And the beautiful thing is, it's not just that God created you, but He's formed you. So you're not just like any other human being. Yes, you're a human being. And so is Wayne, and so is Denise, and so is Carrie. But then He formed us. Some of us are taller. Some of us are shorter. Some of us are rounder. Some of us are thinner. Some of us are whatever. We're different. He formed us differently. And it's beautiful. And He has a plan. And God knows what He's doing. And He doesn't look down and despise His creation. Even when we disobey, like in chapter 42, and we go through hard times. But God says, I formed you. I know you. I know what's coming up. There are better chapters. There are better phases in your life. Even if you failed, they're coming up. I created you. I know you. So... Here's my question I was going to ask a minute ago. Do you find yourself in awe that God created you so wonderfully? Or are you, and are you grateful that He's formed you the way that you are and He's forming you? He's got a plan for you. Or do you do what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20? And he's talking about Israel. And about God being the, the, the potter with Israel being the clay. And he says in Romans 9.20 that as clay in God's hands, can you talk back to God and say, why did you make me like this? Can you imagine? Cohen, oh, let's, let's talk about Riley. Riley's playing with Play-Doh. And she starts making something out of Play-Doh. And she's forming it. And, and her brother Noah comes by. He goes, Riley, what are you making? Oh, it's, it's a little puppy. And Noah's like, that's a puppy? And then she takes to heart what he says. And then she says, oh, i got to destroy it. i got to ruin it. No, she's not going to do that. She's got a plan and a vision. She's going to go in with that puppy. He comes back in ten minutes later, and now she's put little ears on that puppy and a little tail in the back. It doesn't wag, but it's a puppy, right? And it's taking, it's forming. It's starting to look more and more like that. And that's how it is with us. And do we yell back? Does somebody come by and say, you're supposed, not supposed to be like that. You shouldn't be like this. No. And then we take, if we take it to heart, we can be that clay that yells at God, but God, why did you put that hole over there in my side? How come you made me you know, so tall or so long or so wide or so whatever? You fill in the blank. Do you do that? God says, you can't talk back to the clay. He's the potter. He's the creator. He made you and He's formingly. Listen, there is only one of you And God made you the only you. 
God's your creator. Take that to heart today. And he's made you fearfully, wonderfully, and beautifully. But there's more. Listen to the second truth. At the end of verse 1, God says, I have called you. He didn't just make you. He called you. He called you after he, yes, he formed you in your mother's womb, even when you didn't know him as Lord and Savior, if you're a Christian. But he, he made you, but then he formed you. He, he made you his child, and you became his child. He made you what you are. Abraham was always there, but, and he was created by God, but then God formed out of him a nation. If you're following my train of thoughts. It's different to be created and formed. God is forming us, and he's making it. I have called you by name. And even more, he says, you are mine. This points to how personal God is. He calls you to be his. And if you're a child of God because of your faith in what Jesus accomplished for you, you know this so well. God chose you because of his love and grace and his plan is personal. He's not a distant God who creates and then forgets his creation. God's plan was, as I mentioned, was to enjoy his creation and to enjoy you personally. See, there is great significance in, in God saying that he has called Israel by name, or Jacob by name, and Israel by name. And in Israel's early history and a lot of Eastern um, cultures, when, you, when people, the names were really significant. You know, more and more now, Parents name their kids' names, and yes, their significance. They think it through, whatever, and I, I get it. Maybe it's what they, they wish their kid to be, you know, almost like a prophetic thing. I don't know, whatever, some, for some cases. But a lot of people just, that's a nice name, I want it, I'm calling my kid this. I mean, I, I think most parents give more thought than just that, but that does happen, right? Names matter. And in, in that culture and in, that, in history, if you knew someone's name, you believed that you knew their personality, at least to some extent. And this was because the name, if I could put it this way, ideally speaking, was true, was the true description of its owner. So God knew Israel through and through. He knew them by name. He knew when they were formed. He knew them way back to Abraham when God through him formed this nation. He knew all about their ups and downs. He knew all, all about their whining, complaining, and when they wandered in the wilderness. He knew about how they were fearful when they came to the Red Sea and how he delivered them. He knows everything about them. The good, bad, the ugly. And because of that, let me just tell you, don't worry. God knows everything about you. And if He calls you, you can trust Him because He knows who He's calling. You can trust Him because He knows who He's calling and He knows you by name. Just think of all the people in the Bible that God called by name. You can probably reflect in your mind who He called by name. Moses, don't come near. The ground you're on is holy. Take off your sandals. Moses, I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Samuel, God calls out to him in the middle of the night. How about Elijah? How about the prophets? How about we just go fast forward because of time? How about the apostles and the disciples that Jesus called? He called some by name specifically and he called out to them. And how about, how about the apostle Paul who was Saul? His name was changed, by the way. We sang about that, but he got a new name. Just like Jacob did and it was Israel, right? In the Old Testament. But Saul, who was the one who was persecuting the church, and he hears on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul. You heard his name. Nothing gets more personal than that. And especially when it's in, on, a, on a road and you hear this voice from heaven calling out to you and the, the livestock or the animal you're riding is, freaks out and you're laying there on the ground listening to God talk to you. I think it'll get your attention, but it was his name. 
God called him personally. And, uh, I, I, and eventually, of course, he became Paul, a great advancer of the kingdom of God, of the gospel, and, and of all the truth that comes through God and Christ Himself and by the power of His Holy Spirit. There is great significance in God knowing your name. And I think again that how God has called us, and, and we, we used to be called children of the devil. I, I know we don't like to hear that, but that's what, without, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, we're children of the devil. We're sons of the devil. Jesus called people who were not saved, that's what He called them. We were sons of disobedience, right? We were sinners. And, and can I just make a, I'm not going to rant about this. It's my own personal thing. And I'm not going to be theological and dogmatic about this. I am not a sinner. <gasps> what? What are you talking about? I'm not a sinner. That is not my name. Yes, I sin. That is not my name. That is not my name. And I'm telling you right now into the camera, I'll tell everybody, I am not a sinner. I sin, I recognize that. Oh, but what about Jesus when he went in and the guy's beating his thing? Oh, forgive me, I'm a sinner. You know what the lesson is there? Be humble. Be humble. I am not a sinner. How can I be a sinner if Jesus Christ lives in me and he has given me his DNA and the first, the whole book of 1 John is all about that? You are not a sinner. You are a child of God. You are not a slave to sin. Will you sin? Yes. Your name is not sinner. Don't buy into that. I'm sorry to say that. Because the more you say that about yourself, the more you believe it. And the more you'll give yourself license. Oh, well, God. And you, get, you, you, you go right into a cheap grace mentality. I'm telling you, be careful. You are not a sinner. You sin. You're a saint. You're a child of God if you're born again. You're not a sinner. Because if you are, you have no fellowship with Jesus. I'm just telling you right now. doesn't mean I don't mess up. And I run right back to him. That is not my name. Not my title. Do you remember when God called you to follow him? Do you remember that? When you heard him call you to salvation, when you heard the gospel, when you were a sinner, capital S, you were a sinner, that was your title, and God calls you, and he filled you with faith to believe on him, not only as your creator, but as your Lord and Savior and your Redeemer. Look at verse 11. The prophet Isaiah says, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. No other Savior. And because God was purposeful and personal with His plan as your Creator, note the third and final thing that God says about Himself. He says, I will care for you. I'm taking everything He says. And He says, I'm going to take care of you. I created you. I called and chose you, but I'm going to take care of you. What is important about the first word of verse 2? Does anybody have it open? What is the first word of verse 2? When. When. When you pass through the waters. It doesn't say if you pass through the waters. Or if you do everything else to avoid the waters. It says when. The point is you will go through waters and fire and rivers and, and flames. And you will. Jesus himself said in John 16 that in this world you will have tribulation, troubles. But listen, take heart. I've overcome the world. You are going to have all this stuff happening in your life and coming your way. But that's important. Because when, that first word, shares with us that life is rough. And the things about to be described are going to happen, unfortunately. Going through all these things. There is no if. Yet if God makes a promise for all the whens, and then you fill in the blank, 
He says, I will be with you. That's the promise he makes. He already said, don't fear because I have redeemed you because I'm with you. See, fear is squandered when you consider God's nature, what he's done, and you think about all his promises. We all face fear at different times, and we do different things in response. Some of us, we run away. Some of us fight. Some of us allow others to control us. And some of us others, when we're fearful, we try to control. And these are all these reactions we have as human beings because of our fears. But don't despair, because God is with you. He'll take you through. He promises He won't leave you. He'll take you through. And there are these beautiful metaphors, actually. They're powerful metaphors of the waters, the rivers. The, and he talks about the, 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 the flames and, and the fire. And they have such symbolism for the, for the Israelite who hears these. You know, the waters of the Red Sea. They would think immediately about going through those waters, how God in their history redeemed them when they had no way. They went through the waters and God holds up those walls of water. And they cross on dry land. They go through. It seems impossible. It's way over ahead. They go in. And the waters are parted already. And it's, God makes that way. The rivers, when they're crossing the Jordan River, how are we going to get to the promised land? And God stops that river. And the current can't sweep you off your, your feet and take you away, especially the children and those who are weak and feeble. You can't, you, it won't take you away. God makes a way. How about the fire and the flame? I just think very quickly about the three men in Babylon who were in captivity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're there. And they wouldn't bow down to the and they go into that fiery furnace that's made seven times hotter in chapter 3 of Daniel. And that those who are putting in the logs and fueling the fire are dying because it's so hot. Don't ask me how they threw them in there. But when they go in and they see and they're viewing to see what happens or to smell that they're consumed, sorry for the, that image and that, that whole concept there, but nothing. And they see a fourth person there and it's God himself. It's Jesus, I believe, who's with them. And he's standing in the fire as we sing and they're not even scorched. They don't even smell like smoke. Man, that thing you're going through, it could be all around you. It's burning. It's painful. You're, there's smoke. You're having a hard time breathing. But God's going to take you through. And when you get out, you won't even smell like you were in it. That stuff you're going through, you'll come out beautiful. No matter what you go through, whether it's raging floods or fires, all-powerful Creator God, Yahweh the Lord, will take care of you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, in verse 25, don't worry about tomorrow or even today. I take care of everything. The birds of the air, the flowers, I will take care of you. You don't go unnoticed. I've got you. I will take care of you. As we come to a close, let me ask you another question. Are you mindful of God's care for you in every way, every day? Are you? If not, stop and reflect on just how much He has provided for you and protected you. He is for you. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 and 26. God says, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? Comes full circle to my, my experience I had in Paraguay, in South America. He says, he brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. 
calling each star by its name. He knows how far apart they are. He knows how much energy they're releasing. He knows how much life they have left in them. He knows how much, uh, you know, whatever, every scientific fact about that star, He knows and He has named each one of them. How much more you? There are more stars than people on this planet, over 8 billion people. And He knows every single person's name. And I know that because He knows even more than that amount of stars' name, each one of them. But here's the great closing statement before we pray. He says, he call, calling each by its name, and He finishes in verse 26, because of His great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. What does that mean? That it's not missing. It means that because God knows the stars by name and He knows you by name, you are right where God wants you to be. You are in perfect position as His child who's called you by your name. He's got a plan. He's not leaving you. You're going through. You're going to make it. He's not done. He's still forming you. And the end is beautiful. God has not forgotten you. Take these words to heart as I read our scripture from this morning. But now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this word through the prophet Isaiah. God, I pray that we would take to heart, Lord, these three simple truths and let them just soak in. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would cause us to just be so rooted in these truths that You created us. You called and chose us, Lord, and, and You take care of us. Help us to never forget Thank you, Lord, that uh, we are not forgotten. You see us and you will take us through everything that we go through, Lord. And we will come out unscathed. And one day, Lord, we see you face to face. Oh, what joy it will be to know, Lord God, that you are there all along. We praise you and love you, Lord Jesus. To you be all the glory with everything that we say, do, think, Lord, throughout this week. Be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Go and spread the love the truth and the joy of salvation in Jesus. Amen.